Hey, podcast listener. Are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. You know, at CPA, you've got the lifelong relationship, or typically you've been with, with this person for many years and you've seen them on the way up. You, you did that first return and they weren't doing six figures of net income, and now they're making millions of dollars. And what we're seeing is that the CPA can step into the role and help them grow into their new life by creating this concept of the virtual family office. And the CPA can take the role as the central coordinator for that virtual family office and help them drive particular outcomes. Welcome to the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. With countless new millionaires being minted every year and the stock market posting consistent gains, there are plenty of folks who need more support managing their assets. But without a framework for helping these folks, it can be difficult to know where to start. Here today to talk with me about building family office services into your CPA firm is my guest, Anthony Glomsky. Anthony is the founder of AG Asset Advisory, an SEC-registered family office. He and his team work extensively with entrepreneurs and CPAs to build family offices and optimize clients' financial worlds. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Geraldine. I appreciate you having me. Excited to be here. Great. I'm looking forward to our conversation. But before we dig into how to build family offices, define for our audience what a family office is, what it does, and who it's for. There's a lot of definitions out there for family office. So I could speak to a CPA, I could speak to an attorney, and I think perhaps the one of my favorite stories is I had a, a lunch about a year and a half ago, uh, a billionaire and very well-known household name that, that you'd know. And I was sitting at lunch with the individual that introduced me and I said, do you have a family office? He said, I don't know. We, we have an office. We go in there. There's some attorney and some other people. Is that a family office? I said, it, it could be. And so when, when talking about family office, I like to emphasize it's not so much the, the technical of it, but it's what does it do? What's it for? And in the simplest form, it helps the family operate more effectively, helps them function better. And it puts a system and process around them and the family. It's about people, putting this around the people, the family, to help them accomplish their objectives, to keep them on track, to drive results that they want. 
And so when speaking to families, they'll ask, well, what is a family office? And the answer is it can be whatever you want it to be. So for each particular family, they're going to have their own set of needs, their own set of desires, and their own set of outcomes. Okay. The short answer is very broad, ill-defined, and highly customized. Correct. You nailed it. I love it. So it's not just around optimizing the family's financial world, though, that clearly is an important aspect, but there are many other aspects of families' lives that need to get managed especially at these levels of net worth. Is that what we're hearing? 1,000%. And so just some, some examples. As you know, I was a former accountant, I was at KPMG. I started on the accounting side and then gravitated towards working with, with entrepreneurs and helping them in terms of different challenges around building a business and then ultimately selling a business and making smart decisions along the way. So something that will come up in the course of their trajectory is they may have started something from nothing and then they've grown to a very large size and they start contemplating family office. Well, obviously they would contemplate for tax purposes, for legal purposes, investment management. But oftentimes what actually drives that discussion is really basic concepts. It's relatable to all people like we don't want to screw up our kids. So now we have all this, this money coming in. We, we don't want to hurt our kids. How do we address that problem? So that's going to bring in its own type of professional into the conversation to help solve those problems. We want to pass, you know, everyone thinks of passing money and, and trust and you know, give tax returns and all that stuff. That's half of it. But the other half that gets missed that a family office can address is how do we pass the values? So great example. I started this company from nothing. I built this up. Now I'm going to have a much more comfortable lifestyle. The value I want to pass to my kid is not that you're going to coast. The value I want to pass to him is that I would like you to see what I did, what, what I accomplished and do something similar in your life. Not necessarily start a business, but you need to go out there and hit it hard. You're not going to coast. And for I'm giving an example for that particular family, that's the value and it's key of passing that on. So in this concept of family office, it's aligning with the right people to help them drive that family mission, those family goals. Just in the interest of clarity, can you also define single family office versus multifamily office? Sure. Single family office, you're typically talking about a family with a net worth of north of a half a billion dollars, 500 million and up. Some exist smaller, but generally the line in the sand is about 500 million. And the reason for that is that the very baseline, it's two to $3 million plus to run a family office. What will happen is rather than a family forming their own, they'll go down the path of a multifamily office, thereby sharing resources with other families spread across, you know, multiple professionals. Now there's two reasons they may do this. One is that maybe they're at a hundred million and you know, expense a lot of two, three million plus per year doesn't make sense. So they'll go the multifamily office route. Maybe they're 50 million. So that can be one reason is just size. The other reason is, Maybe they've got a billion dollars. They could do their own single family office, but they frankly don't want to deal with the complexity. 
Because having your own single family office comes with its own set of responsibilities and stuff that you have to show up for. So oftentimes you can end up driving a better result by being in a multifamily office structure. Okay, just because it's simpler and you don't have to deal with... It, it sounds like if it's single-family office, you're the one heading up the... like overseeing the whole single-family office, whereas if it's multi, somebody else is in charge of the sort of administration and the team functioning of the multifamily office? Exactly. A multi can be much more cost-effective, and it can also be, I like to say, time-effective in terms less time input from you know, from the person wanting those results. So in, in a typically a single family office, there is a primary point of contact, right? And that's not going to be, be the family per se, but there's going to be more responsibilities that they have to show up for. There's going to be more costs that they're going to incur, but it's going to be all them, all about them, tailored and customized to them, their people. Etc. Gotcha. Okay. So at what point might a CPA be able to identify in their own client roster some clients who might be candidates for heading into something like a multifamily office or family office type services? Great question. To me, the starting point for you're thinking through multifamily office or single family office, let's say multifamily office, 50 million and up. Net worth you're talking. Net worth. And so let's define net worth. Net worth would be value of their company, you know, other assets that they have, other investments. So combined net worth of 50 million real estate. And some people will say, I don't know what the business is worth. Make it real simple. What's, what's the EBITDA? I mean, the earnings and then put a multiple there. I know if it should be five or seven, but back of napkin math is completely fine. So north of 50 million, that begins a conversation around multifamily office. Let's say north of, certainly seen single family offices formed at 250 million, and that's when they may start to look down that path. Now, there's been an evolution due to changes in technology and legislation where you can bring this family office concept down to a lower tier so to the extent that, that a family has got a net worth of 10 or $20 million, they can tap into something different called a virtual family office, where they're going to be able to drive a similar outcome and result as what billionaire families would do. The difference is it's an outsourced model, which I think we've actually had quite a learning experience through COVID. There can be huge benefits of that. I like to think about getting the best of the best for people. I'm in Los Angeles and then part-time in New York. Sometimes the best of the best, take a financial therapist. Our financial therapist that works with our families, that helps them through, say, having conversations with kids and getting the kids involved on the wealth side of the family is based in San Francisco. You know, we have other experts in Austin. We have some in Connecticut. But effectively, we're able to create this virtual world around families that may not otherwise qualify, certainly for a single family office or the multifamily office structure may not make sense for them, but create this concept of a virtual family office. And that's where we're seeing a lot of momentum and involvement with the CPAs going to these families and saying, look, what's important to you? Like you've had all the success, 
you know, at the CPA, you've got the lifelong relationship, or typically you've been with, with this person for many years and you've seen them on the way up. You, you did that first return and they weren't doing six figures of net income, and now they're making millions of dollars. And what we're seeing is that the CPA can step into the role and help them grow into their new life by creating this concept of the virtual family office. And the CPA can take the role as the central coordinator for that virtual family office and help them drive particular outcomes. Great. I want to dig into that a little bit more. But before I do, I want to uh, duck back to some math to make sure we capture it right. And I think you said uh, napkin math, five times EBITDA, 50 million. So if you're looking at a a business with 10 million in EBITDA, that that might be a starting point candidate. Did I track that right? That is tracked correctly, yes. And sorry, let's add in there too, though, likely they're going to have real estate holdings. They'll probably have some investments. So we want to look at their whole balance sheet. And I bring up I bring up the business side because it's oftentimes just looking at well okay they're making six or seven million a year they wouldn't qualify for a you know any form of a family office because that's all that they're making or he's a founder he's making one hundred and thirty thousand a year family office doesn't make sense except he's got a hundred million in equity in his company that's backed by venture capitalists. So you have to really, I think the key is really looking at the whole picture of the individual, you know, and again, that good napkin estimated is fine, but when you start hitting that 50 million mark, even 25 for that matter, some version of family office may make sense. And certainly going down to 10 million, the virtual family office can make sense. So let's come back to broaching the conversation. So say it's kind of the end of the year, it's a bit of a, a bit of a quieter time for CPAs and they're looking at their client roster and they identify a few people who they think, hmm, this might be something that I bring up. So what's your on-ramp into that conversation? The on-ramp into that conversation, if I get technical about it for us, is a discovery conversation. So I would do something like this. Geraldine, we've been working together, you know, several years. I've noticed, can I just speak, can I speak how I talk to people? Yeah, 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 go ahead. You're killing it. Like you're absolutely crushing it. I saw your business when you started and now this thing, you know, it's cranking and there's likely a lot of changes in your life that are occurring as a result of success. So what, what I see working with someone like you is success starts to create some complexity. What concerns do you have in your particular situation around the success that you're having? What concerns do you have around the success that you're creating? And then just zip it and listen. Mm-hmm. Whew. And that's the magic is you want to be speaking 5% of the time and when speaking, <laughs> that is a that is a high bar. <laughs> when when speaking, you really want to be asking questions. So, what concerns do you have related to all of the success? Seldom, if ever, are they going to say none. <laughs> What's keeping you up at night? You're going at a great clip and a great pace. What are your goals? 
three years from now, five years from now? What do you want this to look like? What do you want this to look like for you? What do you want this to look like for your family? Thereby, that starts the dialogue and the discussion. And remembering family office is a concept. So I don't necessarily want to bring those words to the table yet. What I want to bring to the table are what are their concerns? What are their goals? And what are the ways that I could help them? And along the way, I will ask the question, how familiar are you with, with, with the family office? A lot of people will say, like the billionaire I had lunch with, I don't know what that is. It's fine. Or I know what that is. So if they know, well, as you know, the family office is a concept that some of the most successful people have put in place over hundreds of years at this point. This concept goes back over a hundred years for really two reasons. One, to be sure that everything is set up to get the results that they want. And two, to determine they're not missing out on any potential opportunities. Is this something that might interest you? Yes, keep talking. <laughs> okay. So from there, what I would do with that individual, if, if, if there's interest, you know, what if we set up a time if they're married, partner, bring, bring in a spouse, significant other, and have a conversation about you and the family and what you want it to look like, what your concerns are. And from there, we'll be able to come up with some options that will be tailored and customized to your own unique situation. Got it. Okay. So each one is simply a conversation to find out more about what they're looking for, what their concerns are, a little bit about how you might help them, but bring in other key people into the conversation. Why are CPAs especially well-suited for this kind of work? They are especially well-suited for this type of work because they tend to be the most trusted advisor to these people. Mm-hmm. Like statistics shows that and to your listeners, I'm sure their real world experience shows that if I'm being selfish in the shoes of the CPA, many of the successful CPAs that I talk to don't want to be cranking 1040s. What they want to be doing is functioning in a, in a consultative role. And this role, I can't think of a more consultative approach in terms of helping people. So I think of myself you know, a, a bit of my background of, you know, being in, in college and taking a couple of accounting classes and them tapping me on the shoulder, being like, you should major in this, you, you know, you've got ability, the gift, whatever, and fine math and numbers and grade and all that with accounting. Wonderful. But at my core, I really wanted to help people. And what I see with the most successful CPAs is they really want to help people. And obviously getting everything right and the numbers correct, hugely important, but taking this additional step, positioning yourself in a role to help coordinate and build something around a family, to me, that's one of the greatest things you can do for someone and the reward is enormous. So let's come to the reward in just a minute. Uh, I want to ask about 
how if you don't have any sort of family office services, if you haven't started doing this, but you see a need, potential need, potential interest interest in your client roster, once you've had a conversation with somebody who might be a solid candidate, how do you begin to spin up the service of it? Sure. And by service, do you mean the the engagement letter put down or the project or? So it, let's take the example of, um, let's just take the billionaire who says, I think maybe I know a little bit about family office. Tell me more. And yes, I'm interested in something like that. And now the CPA is like, okay, I better pull something together. So what is it that they're pulling together? I mean, they're pulling together something that's custom based on what that client or prospect has addressed in their concerns. Presumably, they need to start making some phone calls about who's going to be on that team, right? The core team that's going to help administer. The other way to do it would be to build the team first and then go see if there's a client for it. But I don't think you'd recommend that path. I think you see if there's a client and then you build the team. So... I'm just imagining the CPA who's kind of like this in this chicken and egg spot of talking to the client, but not having anything behind it necessarily yet because it's the first one. Once they have the conversation, what do they do next? The first thing I would say is don't underestimate your ability to find resources for your clients. If you think about your career in, in terms of your working life, how many times have you come up with a solution for someone where in the, in the moment, you didn't have an answer, but within a day or two, you did. Now, you, you bring up a really good point in terms of the team. What I wouldn't do is I wouldn't go assemble a team right now. I would look at, okay, here are the current resources I have. Here's areas I might have deficiencies. But the magic in this, it's a bit of a dance. So you're speaking to the client. You're having this conversation and you're really getting down deep in terms of their concerns and their goals, the way stuff is set up and identifying if they could be missing out on any opportunities. Now, along the way of discovering this, hey, look, if there was a way that we could help you to accomplish everything that you're trying to accomplish here, is that something that would interest you? They would say yes. You say, great, what if we do this? I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna do an analysis, I'm gonna put some stuff together, however you wanna put it, and we're gonna reconvene in a couple weeks and we'll sit down and look at some options that may work for you. I don't know if they're gonna be right, but we can take a look at some options and see if they'll work for you. They will say, great, let's, let's do that. Now you have two weeks. Now, <laughs> You've got to find the right team. You don't need a whole team. You don't need like a bench of 10 people from day one. You may only need one or two people from that conversation. They might already be in your network. So let's say their top concern was, I'm concerned about my kids getting money, but I need to take care of the kids, but I'm concerned just based on their past behavior, they're going to go buy 10 Ferraris. If something happens to me, they're going to buy 10 Ferraris. That's my top concern right now. And I read somewhere that 40% of my money is going to go to the government if I die. That's my other concern. It should ding. That was me dinging. It should ding in your head that I need an estate attorney. 
and likely in your list of contacts, you'll have one or two or more that you could reach out to. And interestingly enough, what I would suggest is you get on with those estate attorneys and you do a discovery with them and you ask them about their practice. Who are they working with? What are you doing for these types of, of clients? Float this scenario by them. Say, what would you do? Ask them sort of range of client size to make sure it lines up. Because what you'll find is there's a lot of special specialized people out there and there are estate attorneys that their bread and butter is doing a living trust, you know, for someone with a few million dollars. And that's the bulk of the work they do, which is great. A lot of people need that. They need it done. They need it updated. That's not going to be the right fit for someone with complexity. So you want to be sure that you're working with the right person that can address that complexity. I said I would come back to the reward. So let's say you you go, okay, great. I've got my first one. You, for lack of a better term, you spin it up. You've got your estate attorney, maybe a financial advisor, and then you start to bring in some other folks and you've got it going and rolling, working with a few people, a few families. Can you talk about the nature of the reward, both the the monetary side and the sort of fulfillment side? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of CPAs are making enough money and more money isn't necessarily what they need. Money is great, but I think a lot of them are looking for work that they really enjoy. So can you address both of those? Sure. So let's start with the latter of making an impact in someone's life. I talk a lot about entrepreneurs because that tends to be who we work with. And their life can be a little bit myopic when they're focused on the business. There's a lot of demands, there's a lot of stress, and there's a lot of single focus. There's all this other stuff in their life that just does not get handled. And it keeps them up at night. So if you, the CPA, can be the coordinator that can come in and offer a solution around a real life problem that's not being addressed. And let's go back to those kids. I mean, we've seen it. We haven't seen it firsthand. We've certainly read it where some inheritance takes place and all of a sudden, all, excuse, I'm just going to say all hell breaks loose and it causes severe damage. That chatter is in your client's head. It's in their head. And if you go and you solve that problem, you can solve it. It's very solvable. You can lock that money up. You can put guardrails on it. You can do all types of stuff to align with exactly how they want it, how your client wants it, exactly in line with their values. You can solve that problem. They know you're the one that solved it. You've made their life so much easier and whether they express it immediately or shortly over time, you have now just enhanced that relationship, I would say, fivefold. Because trust me, no one else is doing that in their life. And no offense to whether it's an estate attorney or a property and casualty specialist or whatever, most of us, I'm going to say us as advisors as a whole, operate as technicians. Very few of us act as a consultative partner. And I know the topic is, is family office, but going back to that example I gave before 
of the billion where I asked, you know, do you have a family office? We didn't talk about family office the rest of the lunch. It, that wasn't really his concern. Like, I need a family office. Later, I found out in these projects, I don't believe it's being optimized. I want to look at this approaching in different ways. And so in that conversation, we proposed, look, if we can help you get from A to B and look at a few ways to do that, is that something that would interest you? Yes. I didn't say, do you want a single family office? Do you want a multifamily office? Do you want a virtual family office? Because that, that's a technical discussion. People will do what they want. So if you can learn what they want and help them get what they want, they tend to do that and they get very happy. Yeah. So a couple of questions here before we wrap up. One of them is around women who on average outlive men. And the other part of the question is more female business owners seeing more and more financial success than at any point in history. What are you seeing in particular when it comes to women either who have outlived their spouse what are you seeing and what do they need that might be unique? I'll be real direct in terms of what I'm seeing that's different or unique is that, you know, women that have created and developed their, their own situation have had a tremendous uphill battle. Okay. They've had to fight against everything in their way in our society. And you could argue things are getting a little bit better or not, but they've had to fight. What I see is they've got much more drive and much more potential and tend to really jump in and address concerns, goals head on. And to the point where they can find a trusted partner to help them along the way, they're that much more inclined to do it. On the outliving, I see more of the flip of, let's say you've had the husband, you know, building this company and maybe the wife has been part of part of the scenario, they often work in tandem together to say, look, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna go before she does, and I need to be 100% sure that she's taken care of. I think in either scenario, regardless what is a pressing concern with all of them, and this is, back it up a little bit, think of estate planning. And we, so we talk about longevity and stuff like that. How do you approach talking to somebody about their death? Like it's not really mm. <laughs> top of their list to say, hey. <laughs> Let's go get margaritas and talk about your moment. Exactly. But when centered and focused and having a deep conversation, having, having the words, what do you want this to look like when you're not here? What do you want this to look like when they're not here? And if they is the partner, right? And then we talk about the kids. What do you want it to look like when the kids aren't here? This all of a sudden helps them to start a brainstorm and think of a design of what they want it to look like. So the difference I see, and I think this is a byproduct of all the adversity that they've had to face to be this successful, but they'll hit the stuff head on. You know, if, if given the right counsel and direction, they'll hit it head on and get it taken care of. And do you see any preference for women wanting to work with women, female CPAs who are doing this? Or, 
Do you see a lane open for female CPAs, especially because female business owners may want to work with a woman? Or do you think they're kind of agnostic and whoever is the best is who I want to work with? Two questions there. Uh, The first is, do I see a lane open for female CPAs? 1000% and no offense to the males, but I think that they are wired better, especially in a CPA sense, they're wired much better to, to handle this in many, many ways. In terms of the preference, it's, it's really case by case. What I find is male or female, regardless, what I see of a hard driving entrepreneur is they want someone that can deliver and perform and they identify with. So if you have a, if you've got a woman, she started a business, incredibly successful. She's needing to go a path of a virtual family office or a multifamily office or a single family office. And she wants someone to structure that for her. She's going to get the best candidate. Now, if that best candidate or a good candidate happens to be a female that's had a similar trajectory as a CPA, it would stand to reason that's going to be a very, very good fit. Let's, we didn't touch on the financial aspect of the rewards. Um, maybe we'll end with this question. Can you address what does it look like financially to support people with family office services in this way? I've seen two models. One model is hourly, and I have literally seen CPAs charging $300 an hour to work with a billionaire family. I don't endorse that model. Listeners to this podcast will know that I have to take a deep breath when I hear that sort of thing. Okay, keep going. The other model, which is much more preferable to the CPA and also to the family for that matter. So let me just, I want to flip this for a second. Successful people want the following. They want particular outcomes and they want someone that can drive that outcome. And they want quantification of that outcome. And if you're the person driving that outcome and you're quantifying the outcome for them, they will pay you for that. I know it sounds weird, but they will pay you. What they don't want, and this has been my experience, what they don't want is a series of invoices with 15-minute charges, one-hour charges. They don't want that. They want time. Time is valuable to them. So to the extent you can say... Wait, I think you mean they want their time. They, sorry, they want not their the, time. Not the CPA's time. Yeah, they want their, their own time back. Correct. So reviewing invoices and micro and no. Here's what they want that works very well for them and it works very well for the CPA. It's called a project-based fee. But let's talk about what a project-based fee actually is. So you will sit with your client, you'll understand what they're trying to accomplish. Then you'll come to quantifying it. For example, I have a business. I want to take care of the kid. I'm just going to go back to this example. I want to make sure the kid doesn't get screwed up. I want him to go to school and I want him to have some purpose in the world, whether that's working for a nonprofit or starting a tech company. I don't care. Okay, we can design that. And in designing that along the way, we can save you 10 million in estate taxes. So we will get you exactly what you want. We'll set it up. We'll put the guardrails, 
kid's going to be great. You're going to save 10 million in taxes. For that, I'm going to charge a project-based fee. Typically, and you're going to have your own range and your own numbers, but typically in this scenario, I would charge somewhere between 30 and $50,000. In your particular case, it's going to come in at 35,000. For that, you're going to get things set up in a way that there's guardrails in place, your kid is taken care of, you're going to save 10 million in estate taxes. Does that work for you? Okay, so you're looking at if I can take the risk of doing podcast math, oh dear, 5%? I don't ever attach no. to... Hold on. I can't. I don't know if I did that math right. Someone else can figure out what percent that is. But that seems like a really reasonable fee. I mean, who's not going to say yes to saving $10 million that costs them thirty-five dollars or $50,000 is the point. Correct. And what I like to operate with is a notion of project-based fees for different types of engagements. So the engagement I just gave is some, some pretty heavy estate tax planning, coordination, oversight, bringing all these different professionals. Typically in that conversation, you're going to have a couple other items added to the menu that you're going to help with. And you, for everybody's business is different. This is a business decision, but you have to determine what makes sense. And I just threw out a range of 30 to 50. I don't want to attach a percentage because it's illegal. I don't want to attach a percentage. Well, I'm saving you 2 million and I'm going to charge you 10% of that. You you can't do that. So you have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, based on this type of engagement, these are the fees that I'm going to charge. And it's going to drive this kind of value. And, And you do quantify the value of it's saving you 10 million of estate taxes, or it's saving you 3 million in income taxes. And it's doing this for your family. And it's solving this problem. And it's making sure if you're ever sued, nobody can penetrate it. And it's putting you in a bunker and all your assets and everything is safe. So that quantification is it's dollars uh, of savings now and in the future, but it's also highlighting where they're going to be at the end of this process, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, great. Those were excellent pain points that you just captured or solutions that people want, right? People are buying the solutions and you just listed about six of them. Three of them were quantifiable and three of them were qualitative, but uh, equally valuable. (laughs) And how many, last question here, some, a project like that, about how many of those can you imagine a single CPA handling in a year? What are we talking about? Are we talking about like three to five or like 20 to 25? Are we talking about the first year or are we talking years? The first year. The first year, if they're really focused, and I mean really focused, and they want to drive, one, look, the most important thing is driving a great result for the client and putting the client in a better position. That's, that is the, the starting point. If they're driven in terms of growing their top, their top line, and by the way, when doing this kind of work, the realization is very, very high. The margins are incredible. But if they're driven in terms of doing that for particular clients and doing it for their own practice and their own talk about the top line, five to 10 the first year, or let's say five to 10 the first 12 to 18 months, you can certainly get more ramped up 
in later years. The other thing that will happen is depending upon the type of planning that you're doing for someone, let's say you've got someone that's selling a business and let's look at pure statistics. 50% of people that sell businesses do no planning on the personal side, none whatsoever. Why? Because they've spent their whole trajectory and career focus on the business and on the business side. Now they're selling a business. So not only are they running a business, they're having to sell a business and they can barely breathe. You just, you can't see straight when you're going through that type of process. How could you ever have the time to sort of, oh, by the way, I have to take care of myself. So in, in selling a business, there's all types of strategies you can do ahead of the sale, further out, better, further, even further out, even better, far, far away, the best. So this should resonate with any, any listeners. If you have anyone that's either a contemplating selling a business in the next one to five years, seems like forever, right? But one to five years, you should be having a conversation. If you have any business owners where you know there's some market in their business, in other words, acquisitions that, that they're having, even if they're not remotely interested in selling their company or have never broached it with you, you should be having a conversation with them. So let's talk about pre, pre-sale planning for a minute. The byproduct of that is oftentimes that they've done great planning. There's a bunch of different trust. There's a bunch of different structures and there's a bunch of different mechanisms. So at the back end of that, let's say they're north of 10 million, there's a reasonable chance they're going to need a virtual family office or one. And you, as the CPA, can be the central coordinator of that virtual family office going forward, which creates a recurring retainer model. So in the front end, you may have charged a project fee of Typically on a business sale, it's going to be much higher than 30 to 50, but on the front end, you charge a project fee and on the back end, you've got them across the finish line and now you are in maintenance mode, but you're going to be charging an ongoing retainer to help oversee all the structures put in place. And why would they do that? Because whether it's income tax or income tax, estate tax, charitable planning, helping the family, a dozen other things, you've driven millions of dollars in quantifiable results for them. And in order for the structure to work and continue to work to get the results they want, they're going to need someone to oversee that. And that should be you. Yeah, that should be you. There's nobody better suited for this role. Mm -hmm. Anthony Glomsky, this has been so great. Thank you so much for coming on the Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Geraldine, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about Anthony, he's at agassetadvisory.com. Also be sure to check out his books, Liquidity and You, available at Amazon, and Your $5 Million High Net Worth Practice, available at CPA Trendlines. If you have high net worth individuals as clients and you think there might be an opportunity to provide them services that will optimize their financial world, but you're not sure how to piece it together, please reach out. You can find me at shethinksbigcoaching.com. That's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? 
In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.